Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, and subscribe. You can also help support this channel by getting yourself some Skiba News Nation merch. Also, we are proud to announce that we are now on Patreon, where you will get bonus content, shoutouts, and much more. Thank you again for watching and helping us stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Nation. We are also proud to announce that Skiba News Nation podcast is now available on podcast platforms. I don't care what it costs. I want to know what the truth is. And I hope that people, my son, anybody, if my name comes up, whether you like me, whether you agree with me or not, at least you can respect the fact that he's on a quest for truth. He's on a quest for truth. Welcome to Skiba News Nation. Bringing you unfiltered views, news, interviews, discussions, and more. And now, here's your host, Jeremiah Skiba, award-winning musician and son of Rob Skiba. Hey, Skiba News Nation family. Welcome to episode 22 of Skiba News Nation. I'm your host, Jeremiah Skiba. And today, we're going to be talking about the funeral business booming. Dorsey blames Musk for tracking codes. Killer Oculus Rift, killer VR headset. Was the blood red moon on election night a sign of what's to come? Dominion programmers on the vote counting glitch. The Mississippi reaches historic lows, an all new Opus corner, and for history, we're going to be talking about the day the music died and the plane crash conspiracy. And also, my favorite timeless comedy compilation of Norm MacDonald on Weekend Update. Memes and much more, so stay tuned. Alright, let's jump right in because we got a good episode for you today. Let me introduce my co-host as always, Jake Grant. Welcome, Jake. How you doing? Hey, Jeremiah. Doing good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing good, man. So far, so good. No complaints. Man, I've started to miss you guys during the week when we're not recording our show or prepping or stuff because I'm finding these articles and these stories all during the week. And I, but I gotta save the good stuff so when we do it live, we can record it right. So and get a get a real reaction. <laughs> get a real reaction. Um, but yeah, we got a great show for uh, you guys today. Uh, some really interesting news. Um, so looking forward to getting into it. All right, well let's jump right in. <laughs> Well, uh, if you can't relate to this, then uh, you're not living in today's world. Uh, when you read a headline and look for the Babylon Bee logo, but it's from a real news source, and that tear trickles down your face and you realize that the world is completely upside down. So uh, <laughs> today, <laughs> yep, we're going to be talking about a variety of topics, probably a pretty diverse show in terms of what we're covering. Let's go ahead and get started with our article from uh, Amazing Astronomy uh, that's covering scientists who believe they're finding uh, a portal to the fifth dimension. And, um, and it says CERN? here, it was published in uh, November 7th, 
In a, in a new study, scientists say that a particle that links to a fifth dimension can explain dark matter. And uh, I know a lot of the experiments are done at the Large Hydron Colliders. Um, but the previous article had been updated, and the warped extra dimension, the WED, is a trademark of popular physics model that was first introduced in 1999. This research was published in the European Physical Journal, is the first to use the theory to explain the long-standing dark matter problem. Kind of one of the reasons I wanted to look into this is because uh, I remember Rob always showed that clip of like Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about dark matter and dark energy, and then the Darth Vader mask would come down. Um, but it's just kind of crazy how um, just kind of abstract a lot of modern science is. And so this is going to kind of parallel another video we're going to share at the end of a scientist whistleblower. So stay tuned for that at the end of our news segment. It says here, dark matter is like a pinch hitter that helps scientists figure out how gravity works. Sure. <laughs> right. It's still a theory, by the way. Um, without an X factor of dark matter, many things would dissolve or fall apart. Even so, dark matter doesn't change the particles we can see and feel. So it must have other special qualities as well. Um, and so this whole aspect of the fifth dimension uh, is tied to warp space. And, you know, in a way, you know, we're looking at this article kind of making fun of the state of modern science because um, it's truly kind of plugging in um, crazy terms that really refer to something you don't understand. And, uh, and this is what's taught in school books and taught by the, kind of the scientism elders of our society from their white lab coats as, hey, this is you know, the cutting edge of science. And yet there's these conspiracies going on in the realm of science, medical science, space science, uh, physics science, that, that exposes a lot of this as exactly as this article seems to come out as as very theoretical. Moving on to our next, uh, a little bit more of a, a serious topic. Did you know that the funeral business is booming? And um, how bad is the rise in mortality? Uh, so bad, funeral companies are starting to worry. And it says, today, Service Corporation International, the largest for-profit funeral operator in North America, had its quarterly earnings call. The SCI had another great quarter, and you'll be pleased to hear, so far in 2020, the company has made almost $500 million in profits, and its stock rose more than 10% today after its earnings report. Uh, SCI's management seems fairly open with investors. For many years, much of the company's growth came from buying family-run funeral homes as their operators um, died out. Uh, the underlying funeral business is slow growth and very predictable, and I will say... Uh, there's that saying that the man gets you at two points in your life when you're born and when you die. And there's a reason those uh, pallbearers always have those big old, you know, jeweled up ring fingers because they make so much money off of the, the death game. And, uh, but also just like the hospital makes so much money off of the birth game, the business of being born. So they're going to get you when you come in and they're going to get you when you go out. Uh, but it says we did 15% more calls than we did in the third quarter of 2019. And that's not what anybody would have anticipated. And that's just very D minus amount of the 
COVID deaths, if you know what I mean. And we've been covering this, um, uh, and it says COVID is gone, but people keep dying. Why? Unsurprisingly, he did not mention the you-know-what anywhere. Uh, why would he? Doing so would only make for headaches for he and the service corporation do not need. Um, but earlier in the call, he did point to more cancer deaths and more broadly a decline in overall health. And, uh, of course, we covered in previous uh, Skiba News Nation episodes how uh, morticians are finding these increase in blood clots that are so abnormal in cadavers that it's just alarming to them. It's more rare to find somebody without blood clots uh, than those um, with it. So just interesting. We're going to show another video uh, surrounding this topic of, you know, the great medical experiment that has totally decimated the world's population's health. Um, and it's a video re regarding leaked hospital email reports an increase in stillbirths, which is a, a, a you know, a, a tragic thing to go through a miscarriage. Yep. But, uh, of course, uh, could it be because of this thing I'm highlighting right here? Um, and so let's go ahead and play hmm. this video. A leak to hospital email from Central California revealed they have seen an increase in stillbirths. The staff member who leaked the email says the uptick happened after people started taking the COVID-19 an email recently shared with the Epic Times, which was sent out to the healthcare staff of a hospital system in Fresno, California, reported an increase in, quote, demise patients or stillbirths. According to the email, that is expected to continue. A managing nurse wrote, there were 22 demise patients in August 2022, which ties the record number of demises in July 2021. And so far in September, there have been seven, and it's only the eighth day of the month. The staff member who leaked the email told the Epic Times that since the rollout of the fetal death has skyrocketed from its pre-COVID-19 average. She said it used to be one to two deaths every three months in her hospital alone. The staff member spoke to the Epic Times on condition of anonymity due to fear of losing their job. The Epic Times reached out to the head nurse who wrote the email to request a statement on why there has been a rise in what she called, quote, demise patients, but there has been no response. Dr. James Thorpe in Florida, who specializes in maternal fetal medicine, told the Epic Times that the content of the email is consistent with over 1,300 peer-reviewed publications in just 15 months documenting severe complications and death after the COVID-19 You know, we wanted to show this early so we can get our self-censorship out of the way. Uh, uh, you know, oftentimes we censor ourselves talking about this topic, um, but could this all be connected to why the funeral industry is booming? You know, look at the the stock market chart on this one. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's just you know a, a loose connection, of course. Granted, it also is meaningful because we see all of these uh, just reports of. Uh, this situation nobody just suddenly dies mid game on a soccer field or mid song on a stage or mid speech on a radio show for no reason we all know exactly what is causing it and uh and it's it's tragic to have to be talking about this to people but there's still those who are doubling down on the current 
medical experiment going on with mankind, even though the pandemic has been declared over, you know, we have to keep trumpeting the, the, the alarm, right? Because yep. this is going to adversely affect the world's population for who knows how long. And this technology, uh, the particular experiment, you know, the new iteration of these um, protocols, right? That, you know, go in here. I'm, I'm being so vague. I hate mm -hmm. that I have to do this because we see how draconian 1984 uh, truth censorship going on. We don't know what's coming in the future. And as they roll out more treatments based on mRNA technology, we have to be very careful because we don't know the long-term effects. So that's enough on that topic. Moving on to our next uh, article here. We have um, Jack Dorsey blames Musk for tracking codes implemented while he was CEO. And uh, on Sunday night, Jack Dorsey, the founder and former CEO of Twitter, seemed to suggest that Elon Musk is to blame for tracking codes being automatically added when sharing tweets. These tracking additions when sharing a tweet are a step backwards, Dorsey tweeted, then suggested they be removed entirely. And you can see here how he points out what is included in the tracking kind of sequence in the URL. Um, it says, nothing needed after the question mark. So uh, whenever you look at the tweet, I guess all these little, uh, you know, tag, you know, little symbols afterwards are tied to the information that would allow somebody to track a tweet. There's just one huge problem uh, with Dorsey implying that these tracking codes are new, therefore a brainchild of new CEO Elon Musk. They're anything but new, right? And so we've covered this in, in the past with a collusion between social media and the Department of Homeland Security, the NSA, you know, this is all Edward Snowden whistleblower type stuff. Um, but it, you know, whenever you participate in the uh, social media world and all of the technology that's offered today, you inherently give away some of your privacy, some of your freedoms. Uh, but it's just funny to me that there's this back and forth with Jack. Dorsey and Elon Musk, and yeah. uh, and of course we happens. have a. He's just jealous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have a funny video that I want to share with you guys of a gentleman that was fired from Twitter, uh, and I I can't kind of uh, I can't vouch exactly for the authenticity of this video. We're just taking this guy's word for it that he actually worked for Twitter. But we have this funny video because, uh, you know, all the memes and the uh, funny stuff with Elon Musk acquiring Twitter and firing their whole uh, team there. So let's watch this video of a guy fired from Twitter recently. Hey, guys. Uh, I just got fired by Twitter. <laughs> um, it's crazy. So I know there's been a bunch of news this week where people were saying that Elon was going to fire half the company but I didn't think it was real. And then today I got fired out of nowhere. Um, and I wanna show you how I got fired because it's, uh, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, I've worked at Twitter for over five years. I'm an engineer um, and I was not fired on a phone call. I was not fired at an in-person meeting. I wasn't even fired over text message. Uh, no, I was fired over email. Um, and I'm gonna show you the email that Hannah, the uh, new HR director, or whatever the hell she is, um, sent me this morning. 
letting me know I was fired. So here's the email that Hannah sent me. As you can see, uh, she just tells me that my email access is going away at 6 p.m. today and then attaches a meme of Elon saying, time to leave the nest, you're fired. So I got this and I replied, I was like, this is a joke, right? Like this is a, a fun Elon thing he's gonna tweet about later. And she was like, oh no, you're, you're fired. Um, and I talked to some of my friends that got fired and they got the same email, although some of the text on their memes was a little different, I guess. But um, yeah, this is a huge surprise because I've been working there for over five years, like I said. Um, I helped uh, build Twitter, I'm, a, I'm an engineer. I helped build the feature that shows you one of Elon's tweets every time you open the app. So I thought, you know, maybe my job would be safe. Um, and before that, I worked on Vine, which uh, Elon talked about bringing back. So I thought, you know, even if he did fire people, I thought I'd be okay, but I guess not because um, according to this, it is time for me to leave the nest. So uh, yeah, if anyone's hiring, uh, let me know, I guess. Wow. <laughs> That's Man, crazy. Elon Musk wants so badly to become a meme lord. You know, he, I, he he's in a, a way, savage. He kind of is already transcended into the meme kind of pantheon i guess but uh his whole his whole online activity is all based around just these funny interactions and uh what a what a funny way to fire somebody if that's actually what happened i feel like he's trying to piss off every single uh group of people right we saw him last week with the uh with the halloween costume you know, and he's doing this to his employees, his former employees, and he's just trying to be what you're saying, like the top dog. Uh, we got another really interesting story here uh, of a killer VR headset that was recently made uh, by the uh, owner of Oculus Rift, the founder or whatever. And it says this VR headset can kill you if you die <laughs> in a game. And it was inspired by the anime Sword Art Online. And so I wanted to check this article out with you guys. It's, uh, you know, how crazy that this is, this exists. I know it's probably more like an art piece, but um, the Oculus founder builds a VR headset that kills users if they die in a game. If you die in the game, you die in real life, which is a quote from that anime, right? Oculus founder and defense contractor Palmer Lucky claims to have built a VR headset that should its wearer's avatar die in a game, blows up the user's head with an explosive charge module cool oh right oh my gosh the idea of tying your real life to your virtual avatar has always fascinated me you instantly raise the stakes to the maximum level and force people to fundamentally rethink how they interact with the virtual world and the players inside it uh so it's pretty grim but uh <laughs> just we know that this is not something that people are probably going to be using anytime soon but just the concept of it was so interesting to me there's a lot to unpack here literally anyone else had claimed to invent such a gadget we might not pay them too much mind but lucky isn't just any old programmer he's widely considered the father of modern vr <laughs> the tech he built uh currently serving as the foundation for facebook ceo and wannabe deity Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse and combine his VR wizardry with the reality that he now makes expensive weapons for a living. 
So he's a defense contractor. He's the founder of Oculus Rift, right? And he has mm-hmm. created this device. Uh, maybe it's just to set on a, a shelf somewhere. But in the way that the world is pushing to um, establish the metaverse, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg totally redirected the Facebook company, renamed it, rebranded it the metaverse. Uh, the, the technology is reaching to a point where uh, increasing the stakes of your digital identity or your avatar state you know, in games and such, uh, it's becoming a reality, right? So it might not be actually life or death scenarios, but, you know, like, this is just so interesting. What do you think about this, Jeremiah? I I was waiting for the day for somebody to make something like that. I knew it was going to happen, right? When you start messing with VR and real life and you blend them together, it doesn't end well. I mean, you can see those funny compilations on YouTube of people like, you know, breaking their flat screen TV with their, you know, baseball bat or whatever. Trying Wii to, remote throwing yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. And I, I was like, man, something's going to happen. Something crazy is going to happen. I hope it's a, a, an art piece, as you said. In the, I think it's the 1999 Revelation movie. It's kind of like uh, one of the Left Behind movies, uh, which, of course, doctrinally are not totally on point, but interesting theories regarding the antichrist uh but you can read here that um it had to do with the antichrist's plan to use virtual reality to solidify his power and i remember seeing this when i was younger uh being in the church and how people would put on these vr headsets right and they Mm -hmm. would meet a digital image of this antichrist figure uh perhaps we can see some images here um uh, I don't see anything that really, oh yeah. So maybe it kind of looked like this in the movie, but they would meet an antichrist guy who would be like, all right, worship me. And if they would, if they refused to worship the antichrist, they would like be killed by this VR headset in the movie. Right. And a really interesting concept tied to this whole Oculus Rift VR thing. Because it's kind of like that same device from that movie that was all about how people would worship the image of the Antichrist or the image of the beast as talked about Revelation. Um, And uh, just so prophetic and interesting. Uh, So moving on from this, let's move on to some uh, uh, more kind of current news with uh, how there's a U.S. nuke submarine entering the Mediterranean Sea uh, we have a video here from uh, a channel named Dabu77. I'm a little fond of this guy because he, he lives in Kentucky. Uh, I also was a Kentucky resident for a very long time. We're out here in Missouri now. But let's go ahead and watch this video uh, around a U.S. nuke submarine getting dangerously close to the Black Sea and the whole Ukraine-Russia conflict. This is Dabu7. We have multiple reports showing that the world's largest nuclear submarine, the USS Rhode Island, has left the port of Gibraltar on Spain's south coast and has entered the Mediterranean Sea. Now, this nuclear submarine is heading toward the Black Sea. It's heading toward the confrontation area in the region of Ukraine. And the Italian newspaper La Repubblica 
has said that this USS Rhode Island has arrived in Gibraltar, passed it, and now entered the Mediterranean. They saw it entering or tracked it on Friday. The Ohio-class nuclear-powered ballistic missile submarine can carry 24 Trident II missiles capable of hitting targets 18,000 kilometers away. So it doesn't even need to be this close, but yet it's right here on the doorstep, getting closer and closer to the action in the region. And this has been dubbed the Rider of the Apocalypse. So out of all of the different aircraft, vessels, submarines, all the machinery they've got in their military, this one carries the name Rider of the Apocalypse. The nickname given to it. So just so folks know, this bad boy is in the region and you could start the apocalypse with this thing. That's why they've dubbed it this. It's just a heads up to it's it's in the region in a war setting. And with all this talk of nuclear this and that, well, it could just be a show of force, but it's there. Like he was saying, this thing is called the Rider of the Apocalypse. It's a nickname. Uh, a little interesting that yep. uh, something with that nomenclature would pull on up there towards uh, you know the supposed start of World War III. Uh, at least that's what we hope won't happen. But uh, mm -hmm. on to another story here. Most UFOs are Chinese surveillance drones and airborne clutter, uh, a Pentagon official reveals. Uh, so this is following on the heels of all our UFO coverage we've done over the past few weeks. But it says here the U.S. government has officially started to explain some of the most infamous UFO encounters of the last decade with China and weather balloons as top offenders. Like usual, right? It's always right. a weather balloon, whatever. Mm -hmm. It says here, intelligence agencies in the U.S. have spent the last few years analyzing footage of hundreds of recent UFO encounters, and they want the American people to know it's still not aliens. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I have I, we, we watched that video of the uh, Air Force... Uh, Air Force guy that Joe Rogan interviewed and, and several of these high-ranking officials that come out going, hey, these things are doing things that no aerial vehicle should be able to do. Now, one um, guy said, I want to fly it. Like, he was like, I, I just want to fly it because they go so fast. Which is kind of funny. Yeah, they, they go super hyper speed and then they can turn on a 90-degree angle. Yeah. It, it's just insane. According to several U.S. Department of Defense officials who spoke anonymously last week, many recent sightings of UFOs or unidentified aerial phenomena, UAPs, we should be calling them UAPs now, apparently, as the government prefers to call them, are likely just observation of foreign surveillance operations or airborne clutter. Several UAP incidents have been officially identified as relatively ordinary Chinese, Chinese surveillance drones, the anonymous official said. The China... China has previously stolen plans for advanced U.S. fighter planes and is interested in how the U.S. trains its pilots, the DOD official added. Other UAP sightings recorded by military aircraft, which appear to show airborne objects moving in seemingly physics-defying ways, are likely the results of optical illusions. This includes the infamous video known as Go Fast, 
which was recorded by U.S. Navy aircraft and leaked to the media in 2018. So they're already trying to explain away these supernatural phenomena. Um, while the object in the GoFast video appears to be zooming over the water at incomprehensible speeds, this is just an optical illusion created by the angle of the recording relative to the water. Interesting. I don't know, man. What do you think about this? I think they come. I mean, I've. Uh, do you have Discovery Plus? Or those of y'all at home, if you have Discovery Plus, there's a, there's a really good show called Aliens in Alaska. And you can spend hours watching it. And I have. I've watched all of them. But they. Uh, I think they come out of the water, like you were saying, right? Like they're they could be hiding in the water. Because they're, they, oh, you yeah. know, uh, allegedly, you know, they, they, we haven't been in space, but, but they say that we know more about space than we do our own oceans. So that's just, I mean, that's just saying we don't, we know nothing about what's really in our oceans. So how deep could they be? I don't know what you think about that, but. I mean, from the, from the biblical perspective, of course, you know, the, the deep or the great deep. You know, that's down there where, uh, you know, the scriptures talk about fallen angels are chained. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so it makes sense. We don't know what's down there. And, and maybe they've done a little exploring and they found stuff that scared them to the point where they're like, yeah, we're going to spend millions and billions of dollars on space because there's nothing up there <laughs> because and, we're and terrified they can't get of there. what's yeah. Dude, down this, underneath the this waters. This freaked me out. Did you know that the the... Uh, Kraken is still around the Kraken the big octopus and they recently found the Kraken and it scared the, the you know what out of me because I was like man that's one big squid or whatever it is and it could easily wrap its arms around people but it's it, it uh, over time it just made its way further and further deeper in the ocean with all these other things that seem to be popping out of the ocean but they got video of it this time so they can they can prove it yeah that that reminded me there's a actually a reference to a kraken type creature mm -hmm. um and uh, the, i believe it's the book of jasher and no during way. the plagues of egypt one of the terrors that came upon the egyptians was this tentacle monster came out from the sea and came onto land and just massacred everybody. And that was recorded in some of these extra biblical texts. And, uh, and of course you have the topic of the Leviathan and, and I know we're veering away from UFOs, everyone, but it's, it's just interesting that they're explaining away, uh, some of these phenomena and, uh, man, it, it and, and, and they say it's an optical illusion, but, um, sometimes you wonder, uh, with all the instruments that the military has, one of the reasons some of these Air Force pilots are coming out saying they are completely convinced that these are uh, supernatural entities or aliens or whatever their opinion is, is mm -hmm. because when the military upgraded their equipment in, the, in 2014 from like a, a more analog system to a more hyper-advanced monitoring system, uh, that's when they were able to track these phenomena from multiple different uh, recording avenues, like from visual, from radar, 
from all these different ways that they could show that there's something there and it's definitely not one of ours if you know what i'm saying um, well don't they always say seeing is believing like isn't that their like that's a famous term that people use seeing is believing well if somebody sees something and they deny it but you're saying seeing is believing right that's what they that's what atheists tell tell people all the time so yeah. doesn't make a whole lot of sense I'd like to, to me i'd like to see the actual pilot's response to articles like this and see how they respond to the military kind of explaining it away as some uh visual illusion you need to get discovery plus there are a lot of good shows about this kind of thing that that where they have uh retired um uh, army pilots and and uh air force pilots and they like look into these cases and they're like oh my gosh this is like legit like this is real and it's, it's pretty crazy i i don't know the name of that show but i mean they're like thousands of them but you should look into yeah, it man. it's pretty cool if you can find it for free that'd be even cooler but <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> way to get us maybe i'll give you my subscription you, you can watch it jump on there yeah mm -hmm. I like I, I love i love good documentaries and and, well, the uh, docu series too. They investigate all the different ones over time that they, they the uh, military said was fake or whatever, and they just based on evidence they can tell whether it was real or fake. And they at the end they they give their opinion. And I mean, I value that opinion more than the people that are typing these memos that are telling us that Singh is not believing. Wait, yeah. I thought you just said that, you know? It's crazy. Yeah, for me, for me, it's almost like there's now such an overloading amount of docuseries and, and kind of like Ancient Aliens episodes, like all these different things. It's hard to like sift through them all and figure oh, out yes. what's just total misinformation and distraction versus what's like, whoa, this is something I need to archive and really dig deep on, you know? I should start making a list and put it on Patreon of all the ones that, that I think are credible and cool. Because it, it is hard to look through every single one. And and a lot of them are like stupid, like ancient aliens or whatever. But like the triangles, uh, we'll have to cover the Bermuda Triangle at some point. Because I have a lot of uh, opinions about that. <laughs> so sure, sure. We'll talk, we'll talk about it well, later. <laughs> in in another realm of optical illusions, this next article uh, and video we're going to watch is about deep fake AI and our dystopian present. And we've covered this in the past, but I thought this was a really interesting video on how deep fake actually works. So let's watch this clip here. Scientists in Moscow train AI facial movements from three humans, and they applied those movements to the original Mona Lisa image. The result? Three living portraits of Mona Lisa with different personalities. Wait this is here. crazy. They made animations of Marilyn Monroe and Salvador <laughs> Dali. I need to do one of those. Albert Einstein in there too. Here's Putin, and here's a deepfake Putin. That's some scary stuff. So even with one image, a deepfake is possible. That's the, wow, man. That's why I made those deepfakes that one one time was because it's so easy to do, 
and and they could be using it for whatever they want they could be framing people you know so elon musk uh recently on uh twitter changed some of their policies regarding impersonation okay so let's check this out elon musk's response to fake verified elon twitter accounts a new permanent ban policy for impersonation and i think this is all tied to the whole uh deep fake topic but uh recently posted elon musk said going forward any twitter handles engaging in impersonation without clearly specifying parody will be permanently suspended good um Previously, we issued a warning before suspension, but now we are rolling out widespread verification. And there will be no warning. And so what's interesting with this is we're entering into a, a age of technology where deep fake technology could allow people to impersonate others, mm -hmm. but also identifying who is who they say they are is going to be as equally weighted upon because of all the danger of deep faking and so people are going to have to figure out how to maybe biometrically identify themselves when they log into twitter or perhaps they have to uh, go through some vetting process uh, some tracking process all of this leading to giving up anonymity online and giving up freedoms so that you can't be you know tagged with impersonating or deep faking somebody and uh, and this is you know it's good that you know they're going to ban people for impersonation but mm -hmm. also we have to realize that the freedom of anonymity on the internet uh, allowed uh, a lot of uh, things to kind of develop in the online world and so whenever you can't hide behind your anonymous uh, handle anymore and you have to prove you are who you say you are, uh, that goes hand in hand with giving up your freedoms. Yep. All right. So uh, we're going to move on here to uh, some election night news. Uh, <laughs> there was a blood moon shining over America, landing right on the midterm elections. And... Uh, I didn't get to see it. We I woke up around 4.30 a.m. and it was cloudy outside, so I missed it. Uh, we know that these signs in the sky, uh, in the biblical sense, are used for kind of impending warnings and uh, that the heavens utter forth knowledge day after day. And, and we just, we don't know exactly what it's warning us of, but sometimes these signs in the sky herald uh impending changes on the world and uh and we know from the biblical account that that's the very reason the the sun moon and stars were placed in the sky for signs seasons and appointed times so it's always interesting to me when we see kind of headlines like this uh and something that was recently shared um uh from uh lindsay uh jeremiah's girlfriend yes. was this didmyfriendsvote.org app <laughs> uh, and you can actually find out if your friend's vote uh, has been like recorded and if they are voting um, so put me in there uh, let's see what happens okay so let's check Jeremiah Skiba alright let's say what 25 to 30 
Yeah. And and this is uh, what city? Uh, put the colony, Texas. The colony, Texas. All go. right, let's find out, Jeremiah. Public <laughs> voting record. <laughs> it says he voted in the 2020 general election. Oh yep. man. So, but fun fact, I did not vote for Trump in in 2016, and a lot of people think that I may have, but I I didn't feel the same way that I feel today. I turned around uh, completely. So, fun fact about that. But I was eligible to vote. I just didn't. But I think every vote counts now. And speaking of voting, uh, when I voted yesterday, something kind of funny happened to me. Uh, I asked the people that were you know, when I give them my, 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 you know, after I filled it all out and gave it to the person, I said, will it, will it count this time? Will it count this time? And like with a dead pan face. And they were like, what do you mean? I was like, D you know what I mean? Will it count this time? And my mom was with me and she was just laughing because she, she knew what I was talking about and they knew what I was talking about, but they had to keep a straight face and like, you know, be like, yes, it worked. You know, I was like, it better. <laughs> Yeah, I, that goes right into our next story, actually, uh, which is um, perfect segue. This interesting uh, Dominion programmers descend on a county after voting machines suffer vote counting glitch, uh, mm. <laughs> which is oh, interesting. Great. This happened in Mercer County, New Jersey, and voting machines are having technical difficulties preventing them from properly counting votes. Of course, uh, this is happening during this particular midterm election, but um, this is a, a total uh, red flag in the media where they paint any kind of uh, voting machine error conspiracy as just that. It's just a you know crazy conspiracy, and yet we know that elections have been stolen in South American countries through uh, voting machines that will give partially weighted votes to one and partial and you know split the vote up and uh and i don't know if you ever watched that uh i think it's uh two two thousand mules documentary uh did you oh, see that man. i uh, still haven't i still haven't been able to but i i am going to i promise yeah so i believe maybe it's 200 mules Let me maybe see. if you can you text me a link to it yeah two thousand mules okay uh right here and this this was a very interesting documentary uh, regarding the 2020 election. And this is not even about the Dominion voting machine uh, errors and glitches and the ability for somebody to access these machines and change the counts digitally. This is more on just blatant cheating, you know, of people putting mm -hmm. false ballots in. And, uh, and, and voting for people that aren't registered and whatnot. And apparently this documentary proves that with only 2,000 people tracked during this uh, 2020 uh, campaign and election, that these 2,000 voters in a very specific uh, meaningful districts that they were able to flip the general election in 2020 uh, and, and steal it from trump and give it to biden just two thousand people and and that that's with the understanding that there could have been way more people that were hired to help make this election uh swing one way or over the other but uh you know just 
it's always something interesting. I, I, I personally, I, I really kind of dissociate from the political game for a variety of reasons, but I, I do think uh, local voting does still have a greater impact on your community and on amendments and legislation passed for your local county and and such and so uh, those people that you put in power over you you are now beholden to and uh, we got to be aware of uh, some of these things going on well George Carlin George Carlin said something that was so great about voting he said if you he said he doesn't vote because he doesn't want to complain about who wins or who loses the only people that have the right to complain are the people that voted right i mean that makes sense if you voted for the for the the winner and people are arguing with you you have to argue with them you know you have to defend yeah, by true. stand by your stand by your man no <laughs> <laughs> i mean if you, yeah i mean that's the point is if you can't if you don't vote you don't really have a yeah, right you, to complain exactly and that's that's i kind of butchered it but that's what george carlin was saying and i thought that that was pretty genius like that's a good way to look at it yeah okay so this is what democrats leaving the polls on election day look like uh this is a lady <laughs> if you can't tell it's low res she's covered in i voted stickers dude i took so many of those stickers <laughs> <laughs> and uh and this is also an interesting thing regarding this election cycle um john fetterman uh, is now the next U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania. I know, I saw that. What an interesting event here. We bet on the people of Pennsylvania, and you didn't let us down. I won't let you down. Thank you. Well, did you know that this guy suffered a massive mm-hmm. stroke before the primaries and talked worse than Biden at the mm-hmm. debate and just became a, a state senator? And I think the national you know- politics is now solely on winning the hearts of the eat the bugs crowd and no one else uh that's the common under this but you know how he uh how he started he said uh good night everybody he said uh welcome everybody good night like that he said something to that effect but he said good night everybody at the very very beginning his first words out of his mouth good night everybody and i was like Oh my gosh. And they still elected him. I don't understand. I don't understand. Oh man. He is worse than Biden if you look at the videos and I feel bad for him and I feel bad for Biden yeah. now, but it's nothing we can do about it. Luckily it's not well, in my conservatives, state. Conservatives uh recently on Fox News uh their Truth Channel, Truth Social posted uh this that says conservatives point finger at Trump after the GOP's underwhelming election results. He's never been weaker. Uh, so now we have some infighting in the Republican conservative movement, uh, kind of turning some blame to, <laughs> to Trump, which is uh, just kind of ridiculous. But um, apparently this election, it was an underwhelming uh, election for the conservative party. Yep. And if you want to follow us on Truth Social, it's uh, we have a, we have an account of uh, on Truth Social. So. Follow us there if you have a Truth Social account. Sweet. So here's a article that uh, your mom actually reminded me of, Jeremiah. It's a John Podesta appointment to uh, kind of 
guide spending for $370 billion in clean energy investments. So Biden remaking the climate team picks John Podesta. <laughs> and we, of course, have all the the conspiracy and the the pizza gate stuff surrounding pizza you know john podesta emails um but president biden on friday appointed john podesta a veteran washington insider (laughs) who Mm -hmm. spearheaded the obama administration's climate energy to oversee the federal investment of 370 billion in clean energy under a new landmark climate law so uh just once again uh, what are they going to be spending this $370 billion on? I'm, I'm curious. Mm, but uh, we definitely have the push towards electric vehicles. We have all the legislation in the West, uh, in California particularly, shutting down uh, gasoline and diesel car engine you know, sales. <laughs> um, but uh, something just I wanted to bring up to everyone just that's crazy that you know, this guy is now put in charge of the the green spending, right? Yeah. Uh, in terms of green and, and climate change stuff, uh, there's an interesting here we want to watch of the Mississippi River reaching a historical low level. Let's watch this. The climate crisis is also top of mind for many voters. The Mississippi River is at historically low levels, which could impact the food supply and our wallets. Chief Meteorologist Ginger Z is in Osceola, Arkansas with more. The mighty Mississippi River. I'm along the Mississippi River bank because it's at a historic low. Is the measly Mississippi. Where I'm standing normally is underwater. Within the last month, at least five river gauges bottoming out to the lowest level since records began as early as the 1890s. A century-old shipwreck near Baton Rouge exposed. Look what I just found. It's a Civil War belt buckle. That's insane. Fossils and relics littering the now-dry riverbed. Drought along the entire length of the Mississippi, with parched riverbed from Wisconsin to Tennessee. Thousands of people flocking to Tower Rock in Missouri by foot. The historic low levels on the Mississippi River coming at the absolute worst time for farmers. The heart of harvest. See that huge pile of soybeans behind me? It was supposed to make it down river three weeks ago. The Mississippi is the main route for America's breadbasket to the world, responsible for 400 billion in industry and 1.3 million jobs. This is the backbone of America. We move all of our products up and down this river. It's the product that feeds the world, builds the world, and powers the world. Jonathan Dunn works for one of the nation's largest barge operators. Normally, we would be running about 46 to 40 barges on our large horsepower boats, and now we're running 25 barges on those on those boats. So, so there is a drastic reduction. When the price to ship goes up, the value of the goods go down. The prices drop pretty drastically due to increased freight on the river. So that's got to show up in prices somewhere for yes, it, us? Uh, I think eventually it will. It's, uh, you know, it's going to trickle down to everyone. Now, there's a reason that America still uses barges to transport everything from the soybeans that you see being put in the barge behind me to corn, oil, fertilizer, you name it. We do it because this is cheaper. One barge can hold the same amount as 16 train cars and 70 semi-trucks. And on one gallon of gas, the barge can move five times farther than a truck. 
How much do we need? We need months uh, of uh, normal rainfall to recharge the soil and the river systems. And Ginger Z joins me live now from Osceola, Arkansas with more on this. Ginger, how does this end? Yeah, I mean, it has to end, right? We will eventually get rain. The Mississippi River always has ups and downs. Unfortunately, as I'm standing here in this dry riverbed of a water harbor off the Mississippi, this isn't the only dry riverbed in the region. The Missouri, the Ohio have drought. And all of the barges that you see behind me, that's the real issue, is that they need the water now. They actually needed it a month ago. And unfortunately, those prices are going to keep going up. And the forecast, we have the forecast here for the next three months, does not favor any extra rain or above average rain. We're in a triple dip La Nina that does not lend itself to rain in this region. You mostly need it in the Missouri River Valley and the northern Mississippi, and it's not looking like it would happen that quickly. So this could be a problem, Diane, all the way through winter. And Ginger, the low river levels making it hard for the barges to get downriver. I mean, that's a big enough impact in and of itself, but it goes wider than that. Can you walk us through this domino effect? Right, so you can see maybe the grain elevator there. It's kind of putting the soybeans into one of the barges. This has been delayed by three, four weeks in a lot of places. So the prices in, of corn, for example, more than doubled to ship. When the shipping prices go up, it costs more for all these barges to be sitting here and not delivering their goods. One of the large barge companies, one that we did not speak to, actually canceled all their contracts for the year. That means they just said, we're throwing our hands up, we can't do it. You know, the Army Corps of Engineers is spot checking and trying, you know, these barges are kind of beaching themselves on sandbars that show up. They can't do that fast enough either to dredge to allow these to go through. So it is going to cost farmers first and then eventually us. The soybeans, for example, uh, some of the soy goes into livestock feed. That means meat prices could be impacted. So, Ginger, what does that mean for consumers when they head to the grocery store? Right, so by next year, you may see those impacts because these barges not only have to get downriver, they have to get to New Orleans. And then economically, a lot of times after that, we export a ton of what comes from the Mississippi overseas. When you start talking about supply chain changes, which we've already seen the domino effect of that after COVID, uh, this could be a years-long pro process to get out of. Unfortunately, one of the largest and costliest natural disasters was a drought on the Mississippi River in 1988. It cost $50 billion. We do not want to get there. Pretty alarming seeing mm -hmm. the coming drought and the low levels uh, that are affecting both the transport of goods uh but also uh food uh that's spoiling on these barges not able to go anywhere grains and whatnot um but this is all tied to another topic uh that's pretty alarming which is diesel shortages in the u.s and this is a uh a acute diesel shortage uh, is um causing prices to skyrocket Higher fuel prices mean higher delivery costs, which translates into higher prices for food at the supermarket. So prepare to pay record prices for Thanksgiving dinner. Um, and oh, uh, and this is uh, uh, alarming. It goes into our next video I wanted to share here, which is um, emergency fuel declarations. Uh, uh, a short video we'll show. Hi everyone. Something just came across my radar a few hours ago and I wanted to make sure to share the information with you just as soon as I was able. The governors of both 
the states of Nebraska and South Dakota have both issued emergency orders. Here's what they are. Christy Noam of South Dakota issued an executive order on October 26th, providing truckers hauling liquid fuel products with relief from hours of service rules due to, quote, extremely low inventories and outages of certain liquid products, including gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, propane, ethanol alcohol, natural gasoline, diesel exhaust fluid, and a couple others. In Nebraska, Pete Ricketts issued a similar emergency declaration on November 1st, providing relief from these hours of service requirements for drivers hauling gasoline, gasoline blends, diesel, fuel oil, ethanol, propane, and biodiesel. Probably you've heard and seen all this buzz, right, about these 25 days left of diesel, but to oversimplify an extremely complex issue in this manner, it's not only misinformed, it's likely intended to get you to buy something from the person's website. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so here are a few straightforward facts. In the last 60 weeks, the U.S. Strategic Reserve, Reserve of Petroleum Products has been used. In fact, it is at its lowest level in 40 years. This is the largest decline on record. So what does this mean for us? Well, I was just a little kid in the 70s, but I've seen plenty of photos from that time of people being in very, very long lines at the gas stations, as well as signs in these photos that says, no gas today. So while it's unrealistic to think that one of the major superpowers of the entire world won't have fuel, it is realistic to expect those scenarios returning. What I would suggest is if at all possible, you do what I've been doing, which is I don't let the gas tank of my vehicle go below three quarters of a tank. I also happen to have a jerry can from when I was traveling off the grid and I filled that up. Um, I also put a reminder in my phone to make sure that I use it um, because eventually, in fact, stored gasoline does go bad. If you have any more suggestions, please, I'd love to hear them. Share them in the comments section, and I'm sure others would love to hear them. Um, if you found this, this video helpful, I would love it if you clicked the little love uh, heart thing and followed me. And I hope to see you in the next video. Thank you so much for watching. So suffice it to say, uh, all of these shortages, all this drought, all of the food disaster burning down of warehouses that has happened over the past year or two, uh, they're all kind of coming together, if you know what I mean, right? <laughs> so yeah. get, ready to, get ready to pay out the wazoo for Thanksgiving dinner this year, Let's everybody. Let's go, Brandon. Yep. All right, so uh, here's just one little reminder. Uh, our grandparents were a lot smarter than some give them credit for. <laughs> Whenever they had times of plenty, they stored it away. And unfortunately, we live day to day. Prepping before preppers. So uh, we have two little just quick uh, clips I wanted to share here uh, before we wrap up our new segment. This next one was uh, a scientist who um, came out kind of exposing uh, the AstraZene chemical 
and um, astrazine is used on crops such as sugarcane, corn, pineapples, sorghum. And, uh, and let's go ahead and look at this video of a scientist whistleblower. Tell us what happened to you, how you were originally tied to Syngenta, the research you did, and what prevented you from originally publishing it. Well, here at Berkeley, I was a, a new assistant professor. I was already studying the effects of hormones and the effects of chemicals that interfere with hormones on amphibian development. And I was approached by the manufacturer and asked to study the effects of atrazine, uh, the herbicide, on frogs. And after I discovered that it interfered with male development and caused uh, males to turn into females to develop eggs, the company tried to prevent me from publishing and from discussing that work with other scientists outside of their panel. What was the process within the company as you raised the, your findings? Uh, what was their immediate reaction uh, to, uh, to what you had come across? Well, initially they seemed uh, sort of supportive. Um, we, you know, we designed more studies, we designed more analysis, and they encouraged me to do more analysis. But as the further analysis uh, just supported the original finding, they became less interested in moving forward very quickly. And eventually they moved to asking me to manipulate data or to misrepresent data. And ultimately they told me I could not publish or could not talk about the data outside of their closed panel. And uh, Professor Hayes, talk about exactly what you found. What were the abnormalities you found in frogs, the gender-bending nature of uh, this drug, mm -hmm. atrazine? Well, initially we found that the larynx or the voice box in exposed males didn't grow properly. And this was an indication that the male hormone testosterone was not being produced at, at appropriate levels. And eventually we found that not only did were these males demasculized or chemically castrated, but they also were starting to develop ovaries or starting to develop eggs. And eventually we discovered that these males didn't breed properly, uh, that some of the males actually completely turned into females. So we had genetic males that were laying eggs and reproducing as females. And now we're starting to show that some of these males actually show, um, I guess, what, what we call homosexual behavior. They actually prefer to mate with other males. Alex Jones was right. They're turning They're the turning freaking frogs gay. Gay. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, the whole point of this is just the chemicals that are being used, the the chemicals that leach from our plastics into our foods and our water, uh, our beverages, they all kind of are influencing the number of people kind of being drawn towards the transgender agenda Mm -hmm. uh, because chemically our bodies are telling us, Hey, you know, you're something you're not, you know? And, um, and of course the, the cover up of this science is what's most atrocious, uh, that this guy, you know, he's like, I want to publish some of this research. And they're like, no, 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 no. We make money off of this. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty intense. Uh, so our final uh, kind of conspiratorial, uh, this is the war against mankind video we're going to share here is a clip of somebody breaking down the difference between 4G and 5G. And this will be our last clip for our new segment today. Sounds good. Can you explain 5G? Well, I can try. In a nutshell, the main difference between 4G 
and 5G is that 5G supports what's called IPv6 or Internet Protocol version 6, which kind of does away with the whole, you know, uh, 123.121. blah 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 dot blah 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 IP address and replaces it with a IPv6 IP address, which in that packet, when you're sending an IPv6 packet, it has much more information in the packet as far as to where it's going. Um, metadata is in the packet as far as GPS coordinates, all kinds of information is in the packet. And the main feature of IPv6 is it sets the uh, infrastructure for Internet of Things and Internet of Bodies. Internet of Things, or IOT and IOB, is a um, kind of like, they put antennas in all new devices. In fact, you might have seen those Victoria's Secret bras that have these little antennas in them. Well, that's an IOT antenna. Now, a lot of this has to do with the metaverse. Consider if everything in your home were IPv6 or IOT enabled, like your surround sound system, your microwave, your toaster, your vacuum cleaner, your, your Roomba. Um, everything in there that has an IPv6 address is also giving exact coordinates of its location. But enough of the whole IoT aspect of 5G. The main thing about 5G is it offers a much wider, um, broad spectrum of data transfer. Now to transfer data at a rapid rate, I'm talking to be able to download a movie in three seconds, there has to be um, a lot more waves in the air. Microwaves are considered up to like 2.4 or five something gigahertz. Millimeter waves, the wavelength is a lot shorter. And that's when you're getting up to like the 30 to 100 gigahertz uh, spectrum. Now you might have a 5G phone and not be able to download a movie in three seconds, but that's because your 5G is probably based on 4G, but just has IPv6 enabled. Not all 5G is dangerous. Uh, many, well, it's no more dangerous than 3G, 3G and 4G. The one that is dangerous and the one that actually can um, ionize oxygen molecules is what's called YGIG, or um, <clears throat> the 60 gigahertz ultra-wideband 5G. Now going back to the whole IoT thing, this is going to be a way that big tech like conglomerates like Amazon and Microsoft will be able to map out your home and with the exact GPS coordinates of everything in it, including your pets and yourself, and uh, emulate it in the metaverse. And with blockchain technology, all of these actions can be stored in a, in a permanent ledger. Total tracking and tracing of our every move. Wow. wow. So some, that going with some of our previous stories we covered today. That's some crazy stuff, man. Well, I appreciate all the current news, man. I'm blown away by a lot of it. And uh, I appreciate you doing this every week. All the current news you, you find and show us, I mean, it's stuff that I haven't seen. So thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, that's all I have for today, then. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, I think it's time for an all-new Opus Corner. Take it away, Opa. My hut, der hat drei Ecken. Drei Ecken hat mein Hut. Und hat er nicht drei Ecken, dann ist es nicht mein Hut. Here I come to save the day. Yes, it's Opa's Corner. It's on the way. Mm -hmm. Three men die. 
a physicist, a philosopher, and a local town idiot. They stand before the gates of heaven. Between them and the gates stands St. Peter. St. Peter tells the three men, Sorry boys, but it seems heaven is getting jam-packed. To let you in, you have to beat me intellectually, either through a form of a question or a challenge. The first to come forward is the physicist, and he tells St. Peter, with great confidence, show me the entire mathematical markup of the Higgs boson, to which St. Peter merely snaps his finger and produces a dozen large whiteboards and proceeds to write up the whole markup from memory. After careful examination, the physicist reluctantly agrees that he is correct, and with one snap of the finger, St. Peter sends him to the fiery gates of hell. Next to come forward is the philosopher. Thinking that the physicist made a grave mistake of challenging St. Peter with an empirical question, he decides to give a less than empirical challenge of his own. He tells St. Peter, show me all of the works of Socrates, he says with a smirk. Knowing Socrates never wrote down his teachings, St. Peter would be hard pressed on to produce an answer. But despite this, St. Peter produces a stack of papers and the philosopher reads it with great criticism. There are things that he never heard of and questioned the paper's authenticity, to which St. Peter remarked, Me and Socrates have chatted a lot since he's got here. And with a snap of a finger, the philosopher was gone. The last to come forward is the local town idiot. The idiot asked St. Peter, Could I give you a riddle instead? And St. Peter replies, Of course, I love riddles. And the idiot proceeds. What comes up a hill with six legs and comes down with four, comes back up with two legs and back down with no more? St. Peter ponders it for a good five minutes and arrives at no answer and tells the idiot, Well, congratulations. You have left me dumbfounded. And with a snap of a finger, the gates of heaven open up. The idiot proceeds to enter heaven, but right before he does, he feels St. Peter tapping him on the shoulder. He turns around. So, St. Peter asks, what's the answer to your riddle? The idiot shrugs his shoulders and says, how the heck should I know? Dear Ma and Paul, I am well. Hope you are. Tell Brother Walt and Brother Elmer the Marine Corps beats working for Old Man Minch by a mile. Tell them to join up quickly before all the places fill up. I was restless at first because you get to stay in bed until nearly 5 a.m. 
but I'm getting so like I like to sleep late. Tell Walt and Elmer all you do before breakfast is to smooth your cot and shine some things. No hogs to slop, fade to pitch, mash to mix, wood to split, fire to lay, practically nothing. Men gotta shave, but it's not so bad. There's warm water. Breakfast is strong on trimmings like fruit juice, cereal, eggs, bacon, etc. But the kind of weak on chops, potatoes, ham, steak, fried eggplant, pie, and other regular food. But tell Walt and Elmer that you can always sit by the two city boys that live on coffee. Their food plus yours holds you until noon when you get fed again. It's no wonder these city boys can't walk much. We go on route marches, which the platoon sergeant says are long walks to hardness. If he thinks so, it's not my place to tell him different. A route march is about as far as our mailbox at home. The city fight guys get sore feet and we all ride back on trucks. The sergeant is like a school teacher. He nags a lot. The captain is like a school board. Majors and colonels just ride around and frown. They don't bother you none. The next will kill Walt and Elmer with laughing. I get medals for shooting. I don't know why. Bullseyes near as big as a chipmunk head and don't move. And it ain't shooting at you like the Higgin boys do. All you got to do is lie there all comfortable and hit it. You don't even load your own cartridges. They come in boxes. Then we have what they call hand-to-hand combat. You get to wrestle with the city boys. I have to be real careful though. They break real easy. It ain't like fighting that old bull at home. I'm about the best they got, except for that Tug Jordan from over in Silver Lake. I only beat him once. He joined up at the same time as me, but I'm only five foot six and 130 pounds, and he's six foot eight and nearly 300 pounds dry. Be sure to tell Walt and Elmer to hurry and join before the other fellas get into this setup and come stampeding in. Your loving daughter, Alice. <laughs> Sitting on the side of the highway, waiting to catch speeding drivers, a state police officer sees a car puttering along at 22 miles an hour. He thinks to himself, this driver is just as dangerous as a speeder. So he turns on his lights and pulls the driver over. Approaching the car, he notices that there are five old ladies, two in the front seat and three in the back, wide-eyed and white as ghosts. The driver, obviously confused, says to him, Officer, I don't understand. I was doing exactly the speed limit. 
What seems to be the problem? Ma'am, the officer replies, you weren't speeding, but you sure know that driving slower than the speed limit can also be a danger to other drivers. Slower than the speed limit? No, sir. I was doing the speed limit exactly 22 miles per hour, the old woman says a bit proudly. The state police officer, trying to contain a chuckle, explains to her that 22 was the root number, not the speed limit. A bit embarrassed, the woman grinned and thanked the officer for pointing out her error. But before you go, ma'am, I have to ask, is everyone in the car okay? These women seem awfully shaken, and they haven't muttered a single peep the whole time, the officer asks. Oh, they'll be all right in a minute, officer. They just got off of Route 119. <laughs> and now for the funnies. Yes. <laughs> Gracebook. Hi, brother. Jesus would like to be your friend. Confirm. <laughs> the problem, Mr. Fudd, is that you've been having a subliminal effect on everyone in the factory. We're proud of our product, Mr. Fudd, and there's no company in the world that builds a finer screwdriver. <sighs> Dang, now you've got me doing it. Screwdriver. <laughs> My chief diagnostic tool is a CAT scan. You run across in front of a cat. If you escape, you're probably healthy. If you don't, you were probably sick. One day, son, all this will be yours. <laughs> That's funny. Inadvertently, Roy dooms the entire Earth to annihilation when, in an attempt to be friendly, he seizes their leader by the head and shakes vigorously. <laughs> Three more, two more, one more. Okay, five million leg lifts. Right leg first. Ready? Set. <laughs> Not again. As soon as I wash my wheel, some stupid pterodactyl flies over and he does this. <laughs> For a long time, Farmer Hansen and his tall chickens enjoyed immense popularity until Farmer Sutton got himself a long cow. <laughs> Question. If a tree falls in the forest and no one's around, and it hits a mime, does anyone care? <laughs> I don't understand it. He's getting shorter. 
<laughs> hey, what's that clown think he's doing? <laughs> Bummer of a birthmark, Hal. <laughs> hey, six eyes. <laughs> He's overriding my code. <laughs> Fluffy's dog imitation was a huge hit with his feline pals. <laughs> now open even wider, Mr. Stevens. Just out of curiosity, we're going to see if we can also cram in this tennis ball. <laughs> Double your IQ or no money back. Well, I don't know. Okay, sounds good to me. <laughs> International House of Gruel. <laughs> Early plumbers. Oh, this not be cheap. <laughs> well, lad, you caught me fair and square, but truthfully, as far as leprechauns go, I've never been considered all that lucky. Abraham Lincoln's first car. Lincoln Logs. Now we'll see if that dog can get in here. <laughs> when the man left the house, the dog was alone for 15 minutes. <laughs> A Hundred and One Dalmatians, the sequel, Origins of a Fertilizer Kingpin. <laughs> if we had a nickel for every time we had to pick up after those dogs, we'd be rich. Wait, say that again? <laughs> Forever in the shadow of his celebrity brother, Sponge Brian, spent his entire <laughs> life working as a janitorial assistant. Sponge <laughs> Brian. You did not ask permission to borrow it, son. Bring it back right now. Thag, Anderson becomes the first fatality as a result of falling asleep at the wheel. <laughs> Try our new crap. <laughs> Definitely not their ice cream. Cats make great pets. 
out of their owners. Yes, yes they do. <laughs> Why isn't a group of jellyfish called a jam? Good point. Slow down. You're already in Texas. <laughs> Without freedom of speech, we would not know who the idiots are. Re-elect wandering hordes of zombies state legislature <laughs> Dan Payton not running for anything I just wanted a sign <laughs> and that concludes this episode of Opa's Corner My hood, Opa's Corner is now available on my own YouTube channel. Like, share, and subscribe. Opa, that was great. Probably my favorite wow. Opa's Corner so far. And that's I agree. A lot. There are some there are some good ones in that one. Yeah, thank you, Opa. I really appreciate it. All right, well, it's time for some mystery. So today we're going to be talking about the day the music died, which I disagree with that statement, but that's my opinion. Uh, February 3rd, 1959, in Clear Lake, Iowa, there was a plane crash in a field right after a show called the Winter Dance Party. This show right here. I actually have a real poster. And, uh, oh, I don't want it to fall. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, and it killed three of the most popular rock and roll pioneers of all time. 22-year-old Buddy Holly, 17-year-old Richie Valens, 28-year-old J.P. Richardson, but known as the Big Bopper, and pilot Roger Peterson. Now, I want to show you the official story before I tell you that there's something a lot bigger than what the official story says. So let's play that first clip. Buddy Holly. In the late 1950s, he was on the cutting edge of a new musical sound called rock and roll. By the age of 22, Buddy Holly had begun to achieve enormous fame and global recognition. He wouldn't live to see his 23rd birthday. February 3rd, 1959, a small chartered plane carrying music sensations Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper fell without warning from the frozen midnight sky. Everybody on board was killed on impact. It was rock and roll's first great tragedy. But is there more to this story than just a simple plane crash? We'll investigate the mysteries surrounding the death of Buddy Holly. There's a good chance Buddy was flying that airplane. Who would shoot the pilot of an airplane when you're 4,000 feet in the air? Was it an accident or was it murder? Charles Harden Holly, nicknamed Buddy, was born September 7, 1936, the youngest of Ella and Lawrence Holly's four children. 
Obviously, the funny-looking glasses weren't the only influence Buddy's parents have on his life. Buddy had a, a real musical family. He grew up in, in Lubbock, Texas, and his, his parents were musical, and uh, his brothers as well. Travis Holly was nine years older than his brother Buddy. I picked up a guitar overseas and learned how to play it. Buddy became enamored with that and managed to teach him a few chords and things like that. In 1956, 20-year-old Buddy was inspired by the showmanship of a fellow country boy named Elvis Presley. Bill Griggs is a Buddy Holly historian. He saw Elvis the very first time he appeared in the itself and showed him wondered how can you do that on television and get away with it and then started to emulate Elvis. Later that year, Elvis appeared at the Fair Park Coliseum in Lubbock, Texas. The stars from the Fair Park Coliseum, after they played there, they'd come out to the Cotton Club. And I, we played the dance at the Cotton Club before the stars got there. We were sort of tearing our gear down, and, and Elvis and the guys were sitting, and Elvis was carrying the equipment. Buddy, of course, wanted to meet him so bad, and we went backstage to meet him, and we got to talking with him. And, and evidently, they had uh, passed the guitar back and forth and did a little playing, and Elvis told him, man, you're ready right now. Elvis was right. Buddy decided to form his own band. By 1957, 20-year-old Buddy had his group together. Now all they needed was a name. Back at that time, you named groups after birds and insects and things like that. Buddy, in particular, liked a group called the Spiders. And he thought, let's get an insect name. And we got a, a dictionary or something, looked up insects, just went down the list. We could have stopped the beetles, but we didn't even own the crickets. And there's also a lot of crickets around Texas that year. They chirp, they noise. That's how we got the name. It was an exciting time. The music was beginning to change, and it was it was the new sound. They set up a recording session over at Norman Petty's studio in Clovis, and they recorded a song called That'll Be the Day. Norman Petty, the manager of the Crickets, pitched That'll Be the Day to several record companies in New York. The demo was finally bought by Decca Records for a measly 150 bucks. But would it be a hit? For Buddy and the Crickets, the waiting game was on. Things seemed to move slowly. He was out of money, and... Uh, wondering when it was going to happen, but we looked at Billboard every week and we'd be on the bottom of the charts and we said, wow, we may, we may actually get to go to Chicago, you know, some big town like that. My older brother said, let's go call that guy in New York and find out what, what the situation is. And they called up there and the guy told him, said, oh, buddy, your record's a hit. It's a smash. It's playing all over town right now. It was just exciting to be able to know that these songs were going up these mysterious charts and that the people were buying the records and that they loved the music and that it was all over this country. Finally, uh, Selling Irving Fell called that did uh, Super Shower Stars. He called and us for 17 weeks. We said, we haven't made it. You know, we're the ones. <laughs> we got from New York. We looked at the like In 1957, 20-year-old Buddy Holly was just starting to make a name for himself. Buddy and his band, the Crickets, was slowly climbing up the music charts with the hit song, That'll Be Today. Buddy and the Crickets were featured along with the hottest R&B acts of the day, including Little Richard, Chuck Berry, and Fats Domino. Audiences were surprised when the Crickets turned out to be as white as the T-shirt they were wearing. Longtime Apollo Theater employee Billy Mitchell recalls stories of Buddy's opening night at the famous Harlem night spot. Well, everyone around here just assumed that he was black. The announcer announced him on that particular night that he was coming here to perform. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to welcome to the stage Mr. Buddy Holly. And he walked out on stage, and all at once, collectively, everybody says, <gasps> and you heard this one lady say, is he white? <laughs> and then another guy yelled out, you better sing good. Then he asked his band members, let's do a little Bo Diddley, Bo Diddley. So they did some Bo Diddley, started dancing around the stage and whatnot, and before you know it, Buddy Holly and the Crickets had the Apollo Theater in his hands. Over the next several months, Buddy and the Crickets toured around the country. They also appeared on popular television programs like American Bandstand and The Ed Sullivan Show. The boys from Lubbock were enjoying the perks of celebrity. The Crickets had a lot of success. Uh, by the summer of 1958, Buddy had met a woman in New York City named Maria Elena Santiago, and he fell in love with her, and they got married. Along about July 22nd, 1958, Jerry Ellis and I eloped. We called Buddy from Dallas the next day, and he said, okay, we'll honeymoon together. 21-year-old Buddy found wedded bliss with his new bride, but sadly for Buddy and the Crickets, the honeymoon was about to end. 
You see, Buddy had big plans for his career and success wasn't going to find him in Texas. He wanted to start a publishing company. And in order for that to work, he felt that it needed to be in New York City. The Crickets were preparing to move there and decided, no, they didn't want to go to the big city. They'd rather stay out west. The band split up and Buddy was left to pursue a solo career. You know, I don't know what all the reasons were, but to, it was a bad mistake. We should all move to New York. Uh, you know, maybe Buddy wouldn't have gotten on the plane. I've always uh, regretted that we didn't stay. Okay, so that's the official story and that's a little backstory. But what if I told you it's not as simple as it seems and that, you know, there could be a conspiracy around it? What if I told you there may have been a gun involved? And what if I told you Buddy Holly might have been flying that plane? Well, that's what I'm going to show you in this next clip. You, you be the judge. Buddy decided to form a backup band. He turned to one of his closest friends, Waylon Jennings, with an offer he couldn't refuse. He brought in this bass, threw it to go over to him and said, now learn to play that, you got two weeks. So I memorized every one of his songs. Buddy needed money, he was cash poor, and he thought by going on this tour he could get some ready cash, so he get a lot of his other endeavors going. So he went to an old friend, Irvin Feld, and Feld suggested that they put together a tour just for Buddy and uh, some other up-and-coming rock stars. The other headliners on the 1959 Winter Dance Party Tour were Richie Valens with his smash hit song La Bamba, and the big bopper J.P. Richardson, known for his upbeat single Chantilly Lace. They traveled in the dead of winter through the frigid Midwest, this would forever be remembered as the tour from hell. On the Winter Dance Party tour for 24 days in 1959, we're given a series of buses that kept breaking down. And on February 1st, 1959, uh, they were on their way to Green Bay, Wisconsin for a show. And they broke down out in the middle of nowhere. We were going right down the road. It's 40 below and the bus grows up. And they thought they were going to die. Well, we were wrapped up in the bus with the heater going on. But they had to come out there and get us with the sheriff's department. And then they went on to what was going to turn out to be their last date, which was clearly Lake Iowa at the surf ballroom. Place was packed. Uh, they had upped the price that night to a whole dollar twenty-five, opposed to their usual fifty cents. The concert was a huge success. After the show, Buddy couldn't stand the thought of returning to that cold, crowded bus. Buddy decided, let's hire a plane, and we'll take myself and my band to the next venue. He wasn't originally going to take uh, the, the big bopper and Richie Valens. He was going to take Tommy Hossel, who was his lead guitarist, and Waylon Jennings. But as you can imagine, no one wanted to ride the stinking bus. Richie Valens and Tommy Alsop flipped the coin. Richie won, and Alsop lost his seat on the plane. Waylon Jennings remembers giving up his seat to the Big Bopper. The Big Bopper was sick. He had the flu. Buddy was in a cane bottom chair laughing at me, as usual. And he said, well, you're not going with us tonight. And I said, no. He said, well, I hope you damn no bus freezes up. And I said, well, I hope your old plane crashes. The last thing in the world you even think about if you're planning to be killed in a plane crash. It ended up that the three headliners of that tour got on the plane along with pilot Roger Peterson. And within two to three minutes of takeoff, the plane crashed. And the news went around the world. The Beechcraft Bonanza was a four-passenger single-engine plane. It plummeted from the sky. The plane skidded nearly 600 feet and came to rest in a snow-covered field. 22-year-old Buddy Holly, 17-year-old Richie Valens, and 28-year-old J.P. Richardson were instantly killed. To this day, legend has it that a winter storm brought the plane down. But what really caused this tragic accident? Here from an eyewitness who was at the crash site. Who was to blame? And could this disaster have been prevented? On the morning of February 3rd, 1959, the wreckage of a small plane carrying rock and roll's rising star, 22-year-old Buddy Holly, was found in a frozen Iowa cornfield. It took rescuers 10 hours to locate the mangled debris after the plane fell from the sky. Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper were thrown from the wreckage while the pilot's body remained trapped inside. 
Local resident Leroy Morphin was at the scene of the 1959 crash. When we got there, the bodies had already been picked up, but the pilot, Roger Peterson, was still in the plane, and they had actually cut the plane apart to get him out. There was no way you could hardly tell it was an airplane. The official cause of the crash was pilot error. If you have a plane crash and the pilot dies, you blame it on the pilot. That's very easy. Well, what if the pilot wasn't actually flying the plane? There's a good chance Buddy was flying that airplane. There's a good chance. But the reason I know that, we flew all over West Texas and a bunch of places, you know, and every time that plane would get off the ground, he'd say, let me take it. And a great buddy Holly asked him, let me take the wheel. Now, what's he going to say? The physical evidence disproves that. The crushing wounds to the pilot's body were similar to someone coming in impact with the control column. Still, there is suspicion among some Iowa residents that the crash was caused by foul play. For one thing, the wreckage of the plane hasn't been seen since 1959. Who's got the plane? Where'd it go? When will we see it? And the other mystery in my mind, was it an accident or was it murder? The plane crashed on the Albert Jewel farm. And a couple months later, when he was ready to plow for crops, Albert Jewel was out picking up pieces of the wreckage, and he found a pistol. So he turned it into Sheriff Jerry Allen. And it wasn't clear at the time when they found the gun who it belonged to. Some people even alleged that the pilot had been shot. But he did have a pistol on board, so we have to go look into that. Sheriff Allen examined the pistol and discovered it had been fired. That's when the rumors started. Perhaps during maybe some kind of scuffle or disagreement on the plane, that the gun discharged and either struck the pilot in the back of the head or the back of the neck. So it's cool to see Waylon Jennings in there. I mean, he became a legend in his own right. He was, he's one of my favorite artists of all time. And on many occasions, he said most, most of his life, he blamed himself for telling Buddy Holly, I hope your plane crashes. Now, he only said that because Buddy Holly was taunting him because the winter dance party was known as the tour from hell because the bus would freeze over. So just an innocent joke and then his plane crashes i mean that would as a i mean i wouldn't even know what to do if i was in his shoes and and i know that he lived with that for the rest of his life but what are your thoughts about that jake yeah just very interesting it makes me wonder did buddy holly didn't get behind the controls of the airplane and like messed up or something and crashed it but um yeah just uh you know it's kind of tragic and and also just the whole idea of um, like all of those artists uh, kind of dying all at once. I, I know this was the first big tragedy in kind of the rock and roll world of him crashing and burning. But um, yeah, just a, kind of a sad story, man. Well, I mean, a lot of people call it the day the music died because of Don McLean or yeah, I think that's his name. His song, the day the music or uh, American Pie talks about the day the music died and it's supposed to be about this horrible tragedy but in my opinion it wasn't the day the music died it was it was the day that probably inspired the best generation of musicians to better their music and it bands like the Beatles bands like um, the Rolling Stones had their first big hit of a Buddy Holly song they covered a Buddy Holly song and uh, so many others those are just two of the biggest known name ones that, not no name, but you, you know what I mean. The, the biggest ones that, that just loved Buddy Holly. And it was most of the British Invasion people that were really, really inspired by Buddy Holly among American musicians. What do you think about that, Opa? 
Yeah, I think it. Uh, Buddy Holly was a great inspiration to a lot of uh, a lot of the people at that point in time, uh, and uh, we really did see a big uptick in really good music at the time. And, and he was like, um, he did a, a lot of things that were revolutionary for the time, like. Um, like the drummer would play play drums c percussion on his legs in the song but you would never know it's a song uh you know every day it's a getting closer the drummer's hitting his knees it's it's just just doing things differently is what was so cool about buddy holly's music and he was the first rock star to have an orchestra band in one of his songs which is pretty cool but these are all fun facts but there is a conspiracy behind it and i feel like it doesn't get enough attention and you know there's a lot of weird circumstances that happen i mean that the pilot knew very little about the plane and why would they pick that pilot to fly that plane it's just especially when you have three guys that are you know rock stars that you just that they literally went from the venue to the plane and the guy that set it up worked for the venue so why would you put your talent on a plane that a kid known uh, he, he was like 21 that a kid knows nothing about he doesn't know how to do the he didn't even know how to operate the instruments so i mean it could go either way but i think that they should have another investigation and i don't know those are just my thoughts about it so okay that's all i got for buddy holly i, I hope you enjoyed that but the third clip i have yep is something that I know you love, Jake, and we, we keep talking about Norm MacDonald. Uh, I put together my favorite compilation video of clips of Norm doing Weekend Update. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Thanks, I'm Norm MacDonald, and now the fake news. Well, it is finally official. Murder is legal in the state of California. <laughs> <laughs> a down and out O.J. Simpson, depressed that all of his money-making ideas have failed, has decided to go back to doing what he does best, killing people. <laughs> O.J. Simpson was in a different courtroom this week, attempting to regain custody of his two children. In order to prove to the court how much he loves his kids, O.J. pointed out, quote, hey, they're still alive, aren't they? <laughs> in the hospital, Michael Jackson had his room specially decorated with two huge photos of Shirley Temple. But don't get the wrong idea here. Michael Jackson is a homosexual pedophile. <laughs> Here we see the president and the first <laughs> Hey, hey, slow down, you Let me catch up. Right. <laughs> right 
In Whitewater News, federal regulators quizzed Hillary Clinton at the White House this week and gave her a perfect score on the lying section. She's a dirty liar. Admitted Brinkley, there was certainly nothing uncreative about the way you moved Vince Foster's body. <laughs> President's a murderer, you didn't know that? President Clinton is hard at work on Tuesday's State of the Union address, in which he'll focus on crime, education, and the economy. At the request of the First Lady, part of the President's speech will be huge lies. <laughs> More questions about Hillary Rodham Clinton's truthfulness. In an interview this week, the First Lady claimed that she won the woman's 100-meter dash at the 1956 Olympics. <laughs> and that she had an IQ of, quote, over 700. When it was pointed out to her that these uh, were not especially good lies, Mrs. Clinton responded, I know, I have a problem, and then added, I invented the formula for 7-Up. For years, Hillary Rodham Clinton has told people that she was named for the first man to climb Mount Everest, Sir Edmund Hillary. But as Esquire magazine recently pointed out, Sir Edmund did not climb Mount Everest until 1953, six years after Hillary was born. However, the First Lady does have a good explanation for the discrepancy. She loves to lie. <laughs> Former Arkansas banker told the Senate Whitewater Committee this week that he gave Bill Clinton a $20,000 loan as a favor, even though it was, quote, unacceptable banking practice. In response, President Clinton stated that he has no recollection of such a loan, while First Lady Hillary Clinton said, we've never even been to Arkansas. <laughs> when asked if he would pardon First Lady Hillary Clinton, the president was crystal clear, quote, she does the crime, she does the time. <laughs> You're not a big fan of Hillary's, are you? Uh, no, I don't like Why Hillary. Why don't you like Hillary? I don't like her anyway. Well, because I think she's the most corrupt uh, person that we've ever had in the White House. I mean, there's, there's so many uh, uh, terrible things that she's done that we forget. But there was one that, I don't know why this was swept under the rug, but, you know, she went into the IRS uh, and, and looked at political enemies' um, tax returns. Nixon did that. Yeah, well, that, absolutely <laughs> Nixon did that. Yeah, it's a, she's, well, a, she's a Nixonian figure. And maybe nowadays... Uh, Nixon, you know, Watergate would have just been a, a, a Friday night story that would have disappeared on Monday. I think people don't vote on on issues as much as they just vote on who they'd, uh, like this, that old saw about who you'd rather have a beer with, you know. And nobody wanted to have a beer with Hillary Clinton, you know. I think I had one joke about Donald Trump that I ever did uh, where I said, uh, that that uh, the people that Americans hated Hillary Clinton so much that they voted for someone they hated more than Hillary Clinton <laughs> to rub it in. A frog goes into a bank to get a loan. <laughs> Imagine. So the frog goes up to the lady and she has a little name tag on as they do. It says Whack. So her name is Mrs. Whack. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, uh, can I uh, get a loan? I don't know. You're, you're a frog. Well, I want a loan. Well, what's your name? Kermit. You're not Kermit the Frog. No, no, no. I was named after him. The name's Kermit Jagger. My father's Mick Jagger, and my mother's a frog. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm his offspring.
Is it? Well, anyways, I want a loan uh, for a lily pad. <laughs> well, you can't, I don't know if you can have one. Do you have any collateral? Well, I have this. The frog pulls out a, a little sh shiny pink elephant, you know, and a little shiny pink elephant. So Mrs. Wack looks at it. And her name's Patty. I don't think this is much collateral, you know, but I'll talk to the bank manager about it, you know. There's a fro frog out there, Kermit Jagger, gave me this damn thing. Did you know, have any idea what this is? The bank manager says, <laughs> what is this? This is a knick-knack, Patty Whack. <laughs> Give the frog a loan. His old man's a rolling stone. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so like, could you not see that last joke being on Opa's corner? I showed Opa the other day, and I was. Do you agree, Opa? W would you do a joke like that? Yeah, that uh, <laughs> is very remarkably like the one I did. Yeah. Well, Norm was exposing the Clintons and even called them murderers on several occasions. He was ahead of his time in exposing certain things. And he was like, he was fired by Don Olmeyer, who was the head of NBC, uh, because he was making too many OJ jokes during the OJ Simpson trial. Because <laughs> Don Olmeyer and OJ were friends. And he said, if you don't stop, I'm going to fire you. And he was like, I'm not, I'm not going to stop. So... What are your thoughts about that, Jay? Did you like that uh, compilation? Oh, man. That was hilarious. I love how long his setups for jokes are. And then his, like, the He threw the in Patty. Is... Oh, man. Just with, <laughs> what a, with, I... with ease. With ease. He, he just, like, just during the story, her name's Patty. You know, like, just stuff like that is what makes <laughs> it funny at the end. Because then you rewatch it in your mind and you're like, oh, that's funny. Because he set it up right there, you know? Yep. And if any if anybody's a f big fan of Norm Macdonald, I I suggest uh subscribing to uh my friends over at I'm Not Norm. It's just one one word and their channel is awesome and they they do compilations and all kinds of stuff. Some of them are kind of dirty, but I mean, comedians. So Yep, that's all I got for history. Uh you ready for some memes? Let's do it. Meet me up. Meet me up. So in lieu of our news stories covering the diesel and oil shortages, uh, here's a picture of Harry Potter uh, <laughs> saying expensive petroleum. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he's throwing a, a curse of low oil uh you know short gas shortages <laughs> and <laughs> on on everybody all right um here's a here's one the worst part of parallel parking is the witnesses uh so <laughs> um i don't think they had cars back in in these days but I, i've never had uh, personally a, a big problem with parallel parking i just don't park in really ridiculously small spaces but i i bet you have to probably deal with that down in the big city near dallas don't you jeremiah 
I I mean, I don't like to go to the city, but when I do, yes, it's all parallel parking. And luckily my my truck has all the little gadgets and I have a camera and stuff, but it's still hard, man. Here's uh here's another one. Uh why are the bees and butterflies dying out? And then it's a picture of your yard. <laughs> <laughs> they got they don't got anything to eat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so these little freezer pops from the Chinese place are freaking awful. Do not recommend. <laughs> what is <laughs> that? Little soy sauce packets. Oh my god. They're soy sauce packets. That's so gross. <laughs> oh man. Although people make popsicles out of like pickle juice, so I wonder if it's like I, a similar. I, I have. I've actually done that. <laughs> you know, it gets rid of like your headaches. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Sodium. I don't know what it is. I just was told that, and I tried it, and it worked. Now I'm craving vinegar. Me too. All right, here's a here's another one. Not all Australian animals will kill you. Don't get me wrong. He wants to. He just can't kill you. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that's, a, that's a cute and creepy little creature. Reminds me of my, um, sugar, my sugar glider that I used to have when I was a, a kid. Those things are the worst. Here's uh even in a supply chain shortage, no one wants vegan fake meat. <laughs> <laughs> it's a picture mm -hmm. of a grocery store and and there's like all the meat's been ransacked through all the uh, the shelves except for the vegan section. <laughs> I must admit I d I do have to eat that sometimes cuz my girlfriend her stomach can't handle certain meats, her body just rejects it. And so it's actually some of it, it, you really have to read the packaging. And I suggest anybody that ever tries it to read the packaging. But uh, it, it's so weird because I swear it's really meat and they're just putting that on there. That's my that's what I think is actually going on with some of the brands. Some of it's so, so meat like. Uh, but hey, at least you guys will be doing all right. Uh, when the, the grocery stores are ransacked for all their produce, you guys will still have, you know, a section to eat from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, our final meme, uh, that face you make when you see someone wearing a NASA shirt. Mm -hmm. That is the face I make every time I see somebody wearing a NASA shirt. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> like, what are you trying to prove, fanboy? Yeah. <laughs> Just shake my head. All right. That's all our memes for today. Awesome, man. Well, thank you, Jake, for the current news and the memes and Opa for the great Opa's Corner. And I'd like to thank my friends at I'm Not Norm, as I said. Uh, so thank you guys. And you got any shout outs, Jake? Yeah, just uh, I, I like, I, I've gotten a lot of stories recently from Chad Riley. Shout out to that guy. Uh, and anybody else I still memes from or uh, any of uh, the cool articles I share on this show, if I don't call you out, still thank you. Uh, kind of, I'm a, an amalgamation of all the different people I've, you know, attached myself to on social media over the years. So that's how I find a lot of these stories. And I also was getting questions about uh, yesterday about like how can, like if you want to be a guest on the show, how can you do that? And I... I told them just just the other, just the normal email submit at skibanewsnation.com and in the headline put guest so so that we know 
So I just want to put that out there. Sounds good. So thank you, everybody, for watching Skeepin' News Nation, episode 22, and we'll see you in episode 23. If you would like to submit a story, topic, or have any other inquiries, please email submit at skebanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skebanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skebanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, and subscribe. You can also help support this channel by getting yourself some Skiba News Nation merch. Also, we are proud to announce that we are now on Patreon, where you will get bonus content, shoutouts, and much more. Thank you again for watching and helping us stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Nation. We are also proud to announce that Skiba News Nation podcast is now available on podcast platforms. 